but the priority may be off. I mean, we talk about what what is Christmas? Well, it's all about family and friends and and all of these things, and that's true. That's just not the primary purpose. And I just want to make sure that during the season, our focus is upon um, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, over the next four weeks, I hope to. Help us as a church turn our gaze to heaven and consider four big themes as we prepare for the celebration of the birth of Jesus, which will culminate on Christmas Eve and we'll gather here on Christmas Eve. And just so you know, Christmas Eve is Saturday and Sunday is Christmas Day. We will have church on Christmas Day. I remember the first time that we had that while I was here and there was a the first time Christmas Day arrived on the on, on a Sunday, and I remember all of this talk. It's like, you guys going to have church on Sunday? It's like, yeah. Well, it's Christmas. I know. What's what's the conflict here? I, I don't get it. But I remember people were going around, what are we going to do on Christmas? There's, yeah, we're getting together, and we're going to celebrate um, this. Yeah, we're going to have church. Let me just go ahead and just let the cat out of the bag. So... We're also going to do something a little probably outside the norm. Um, and I've talked about this. I think it's going to be great. We're going to baptize. We're going to have a baptism on Christmas Day. How's that? So if you're interested in baptism, all right, what a great day. This is a great time to celebrate the birth of our Lord. So anyways, keep that in mind. If you've never been baptized, well now. We should talk. So anyways, we're going to talk about four big themes as we anticipate this holiday season. The first theme we'll deal with is hope. That's what we'll deal with today. Next week, rejoicing, then anticipation, and then salvation. And so here is our kind of a need for this church that we look forward in hope. Um, as God fulfilled his promises in the past, so he will fulfill his promises for the future. God fulfilled every promises, every promise regarding the first advent of Jesus Christ. Why in the world would we ever doubt that every single promise regarding his second advent won't, will not be fulfilled completely and perfectly just as it was in the first advent? And remember, in the fullness of time, God brought forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem those who, under, who are under the law. And so it will be as we go forward that in the fullness of time, Jesus Christ will also return in power and great glory. And so today we are going to look forward to the things that God has promised. See, here's one of the reasons why we need to have hope for the future. Because, see, if you are not fully secure in the fact that God is in complete control of the future, we will tend to live in anxiousness and fear and perhaps even in manipulation of, of others. And so when we are living in anxiousness, when we are living in fear, when we are living in greedy control of other people, um, our focus then is no longer on others and it becomes on ourselves and we are not free to love one another as God has commanded. So before we look back at the first advent, I want us to look forward to the second advent. And so what better place to do that than Matthew chapter 24. So let's look at our text today. Matthew chapter 24. We'll begin with verse 36 and read through verse 44. And then we'll spend some time looking more closely at these at this 
these passages that God has given to us. Verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Our Father, we thank you for this, your word that you have given to us that we might know and grow and be set apart and that we might learn of you and be conformed to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. And so we thank you for these words that Jesus spoke to us regarding the future, regarding the second advent. And so we pray, Lord God, that you would imprint these upon our minds, upon our hearts, upon our souls, and help us, Lord God, to have an urgency to make disciples of all the nations. For you are coming, and we give you praise, and we give you thanks. Help us to understand your word this day. Amen. So, I guess before I get going on this, our theme today is hope. So let me perhaps uh, define what I mean by hope. And the reason I need to is because how hope is defined in the Bible and how hope is often used in just our day-to-day life or in secular culture, um, they may be a little bit different. So when, when oftentimes when people who are kind of outside of the Christian realm speak of hope, they speak of something that has little certainty, um, something that one desires will happen, but has little certainty will happen. For instance, somebody might say, there was a a very serious accident uh, on the highway today. I hope there were no injuries. There There is a desire that there are no injuries, but there is no certainty that there are no injuries. There is the desire, but lack of confidence or lack of certainty. This is why we read in 1 Thessalonians 4.13 where it talks about that when, when a believer perishes or goes home to be with the Lord, dies, um, that Paul writes, now we do not mourn as those who have no hope. See, those who have no hope are those who do not know with certainty what is going to happen on the day they breathe their last breath? We are not like that. We may mourn the passing of a loved one, but we do not do so as those who have no hope because we're not just hoping and wishing, well, I hope they... No, we have certainty amongst our brothers and sisters that God will be faithful to do the things that God has said and that when we breathe our last breath and enter into glory, we will enter into glory because God has promised and secured that entrance by His own blood and by His own covenant. And so while we mourn, we do not mourn as those who have no hope. We actually have hope. That is, we have certainty of what happens when we die. And so when we talk about Christian hope, 
we are talking about a confidence that something will come to pass because God has promised. So, hope in the Bible, there, it, like every word, there's a, a wide range of usages and uh, hope has a variety of meanings for the Christian. But this element of hope, this idea of a certain expectation is the place uh, where we are going to go today. And that is the definition we will be um, honing in on today. So it is a confidence that something is going to come to pass because God has declared it to be so. So when God declared back in Genesis 3.15 that there would come one who would um, crush the, the head of the serpent, one could hope with certainty, one could have a certainty that that event would happen. Even when thousands of years go by and everybody says, well, where is that blessed hope? One can say, well, I haven't seen it yet, but I expect that that will happen. And then, as we said, in the fullness of time, God brought forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And so when we talk about hope, we are not talking about a uncertain expectation, but a certain confidence. This has, you might say, well, what's the difference between faith and hope? Sounds like faith. Well, faith and hope are certainly very related. I won't go into a huge detail on on that. You can study that at another time. But I like this. John Piper said this. I thought this was great. Hope is faith in the future tense. I like that. I thought that was good. Hope is faith in the future tense. So I'm going to go with that. Hope is also related to love. Now, faith, hope, and love. These three, um, and love being the greatest of them. But you can see, hope and faith are, are, are related to one another and actually related to love. And so, I guess just a, a brief summary as we've tried to define our terms and that hope for the believer has an element of certainty. Are you with me on that? All right, good. So here we go. Because y'all want to know where I stand on Matthew 24. Well, maybe you don't, but this is where I stand on Matthew 24, at least this particular passage of text. Um, so Jesus begins, says, But concerning the day or the hour, um, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. And what he's talking about here is that this is the coming of the Son of Man. So regarding the coming of the Son of Man, no one knows the day or the hour. And too oftentimes, I think when we talk about eschatology, which is just a, a fancy word for studying what happens at the last, last things, um, what happens at the end. Uh, so oftentimes, I think we get really wrapped up in the when and underemphasize the who. And so today, I want to emphasize the who, because here's the one thing about the study of eschatology. One thing we all pretty much agree on, there are probably a lot of things if we all got together and talked about, we would probably have some differences on. But I can tell you this, that everybody in this church, I hope, and that's a level of uncertainty, <laughs> I pray that we all agree on this, that no one knows the day or the hour. Are we good on that one? All right. So whatever else I happen to say today, you may disagree on, but we all agree on this. Nobody knows the day or the hour, so I'm not going to give myself to attention, give myself to the when of all of these events, but to the who of all of these events. And I think that's important because Jesus, when he begins this sermon, this discourse, he begins with this idea of pay attention, stay awake, no 
look to me, don't be deceived. And so it's not the, the when is somewhat vague, but the who is very clear. And so that will be our purpose during, during all of this. And so, so we don't know when, but we do know the who, and therefore we can have confidence that whatever is said is going to happen because the who is faithful in all that he says and he does. And so Jesus says, but concerning that day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as we're in the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man. And he begins to talk about this warning, this idea. So, so the Son of Man is going to come, and he's going to come as in the days of Noah. So we should probably think a little bit about the days of Noah, since this seems to be an issue. And we should note, first of all, that Noah was a preacher of righteousness who proclaimed salvation by faith, and he proclaimed it for 120 years. So you can look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, and maybe even confer with First um, Peter 3.20, but Noah was a preacher of righteousness, and he declared that God is going to bring judgment against the world, but you can, by faith, jump into this boat that I'm building, and you will be saved. But as you know, as you've read in Genesis, the account of Noah, the people lived as though that day would never come. They kept hearing Noah preaching about this day of judgment, and they kept seeing him building this boat, and they kept on saying, well, that day's never come. It's been 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Crazy Noah keeps doing that thing. He keeps preaching the same old message over and over and over. My kids heard it. I heard it. My kids have heard it. My grandkids are now hearing the same message over and over and over. I don't think it's ever going to happen. And they began just to live their lives um, as though the words of Noah would never happen. And I think that Jesus here begins to focus on the normalcy of life. And I think that's part of the issue here. Just the normalcy and the, the normalcy of life become preoccupied. People are preoccupied with the mundane activities and spiritual matters are completely neglected. So Noah is out preaching salvation and everybody else is just focused on just the everyday normalcy of life. Get up, go to work, do your job, come home, take care of the kids, do your thing, and just forget about the things that really matter and shut out the word of truth that is coming to your ears every day. And you hear the hammer of Noah, Noah's hammer banging and building and cutting planks, and you say, oh, I just drowned that out. That's Noah. And i got a family to raise. And i got things to do. The normalcy of life just continues on. And I, I fear that too often this can happen during this Christmas season, that we can be so wrapped up in the just festivities of everything that we forget that Christ is coming again. The people of Noah's day became oblivious to eternal matters, and they were more concerned with personal pleasure and the things of eternity ceased to matter to them. 
For as were the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. This is kind of interesting because on the one hand, Everything happened suddenly, but on the other hand, everybody had been forewarned. Noah had been preaching this message for many, many years until the flood came. And then when it did come, it came so suddenly that there was no time to respond. And I hear people saying, well, I'll just I'll wait till I see the clouds open and the Son of God coming, and then I'll do something. Folks, learn from Noah. That was not, that doesn't work. Okay, just learn from Noah. He's giving us an example here. So, as in the days of Noah, Noah preached a message of repentance for years and years and years. And then, and so there was this long period of time. But when judgment came, it came and it came quickly. So there was this suddenness. Noah, notice, until Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came. Noah had been preaching about a flood, and they did not understand it until it was too late. Now, all of a sudden, the water's up to their ankles. They're going, ah, I'm starting to get this now. It's starting to make sense. It doesn't make sense until Noah enters the ark, and then, all of a sudden, floods come, and it happens. This is what Jesus is uh, conveying to us. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field and one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. I'll stop there. We notice that there is this suddenness. First of all, there is this long time of preparation, this long time of proclaiming that God is going to come. God is going to come. God is going to come. And it takes a long time for that event to actually happen. But when it does happen, it happens quickly and suddenly, and there is little time to respond. Only those who have been prepared are ready for the suddenness of it. And then those who were not prepared, it says, were taken away. Notice this, notice, note this. And they were unaware until the flood came and took them all away, swept them all away. And this will be the coming of the Son of Man. And then we have this illustration. And um, I'm going to burst a few bubbles here on, my, on this illustration. Um, I don't apologize. I think this is, but here we go. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill and one will be taken and one left. Here's, so here again we see this illustration. Farmers and grinders working through their normal routine and then one is taken and one is left. I think a good understanding of this is that the one who is taken is the one who is taken in judgment and the one who is left is the one who is left to be saved. And here's probably backwards from what a lot of you, a lot of us have been taught. And here's why. Because the previous verse says that they were taken away by the flood and then one will be taken. So just as they were taken away in the flood and taken into judgment, so 
the farmer or the, the farmer and the grinder, one will be taken, that is taken away in judgment, and one will be left. I know oftentimes this has is a verse that um, has often been taught to describe a secret rapture that occurs seven years before a great tribulation, and as you may or may not know, I do not hold to that view. Um, I am not dispensational, and that's just another fa- fancy word, but I am not... Um, um, I don't hold to that. I, I, I think that our text here is talking about those who are taken away in judgment and the other is left safe in Christ. And so I, I believe that the, when the judgment comes, it will come very quickly that we will preach and preach and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation by grace through faith, and then when judgment comes, it will, be, it will come quickly, and some will be taken away in judgment, and the others will be left safe in Christ. And so um, I do not believe that this in any way um, speaks of some sort of secret rapture seven years before the tribulation. There is nothing in the text that would lean us, that would take us to that place, and I would say, um, you don't have to agree with me on that. We can still be brothers and sisters in the Lord, and I'll still love you even though you're wrong. Um, you know, I always tell people, you know what, i got good friends. I say, you know what, I, I hope personally I pray I'm wrong, and you can tell me I'm wrong on the way up. You can say, I told you so. Um, I, I just have always been taught, the, you know, the whole seven-year secret rapture thing, and that's what I always believed until I sat down and actually began studying, and I'm going, there's just nothing in Scripture that would lead me to believe that. Just nothing. Um, so, including that you have to read that into this text. But if we use the context of this, the message, we end up with being taken away in judgment. So there's my little uh, controversial statement of the day. So, um, But I think the idea here is that there's a sudden separation, that some will be saved and some will not be saved. So be on the alert. In fact, that's what he goes on to say. So, therefore, pay attention. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. And for what, what does Jesus then conclude? What does he conclude? He says, therefore, stay awake. Be alert. Stay awake. Because the preaching of the gospel is going to go forth and go forth and go forth. One day, the Son of Man is going to come and it's going to be sudden. It's, you're not going to have an opportunity to say, oh, well, I'm going to try to change my mind now. No. Therefore, you and me, as believers, we need to stay alert. We need to pay attention. And that is our purpose during the season. This is one of the reasons why we do Advent, is to help us, to remind us to stay alert, to stay awake, to be prepared, to be thinking about eternal things. In First uh, Thessalonians uh, chapter five, verses one through six, the apostle Paul writes this. He says, "Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night." While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden. Here's that word. Sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in the darkness, brothers, for that day 
to surprise you like a thief. For your children are the light, children of the day. We're not of the night or of the darkness, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. The idea here is be awake. Paul is now admonishing people to be sober, to be vigilant, to be awake, not to sleep as those who sleep during the, during the nighttime. Rather, be awake and during uh, a time where every marketer and every advertiser and every part of our society is geared towards uh, lulling us to sleep by its influences. And, and let's face it, I mean, there's all kinds of things that it just they appeal to me. You know, I see stuff, and I mean, even some simple things, is, you know, so we visit my mom, and this time of year, um, for about the past month, every time I see my mom, it's like, do you have your Christmas list? What do you want? What do you want for Christmas? And of course, we, we you know, we say, oh, we don't really need anything, we're all blessed. But I'm going, man, you know what? <laughs> I, up here, I got a, I got a list I could use. I, I want this, and I want that, and I want all kinds of new stuff. Even something like that has my attention focused away from the things that are eternal and the things that matter. And so there's this admonition to be sober, to be vigilant, to be awake, because we are easily lulled into sleep, even by something simple and innocent, like my mom saying, what's your Christmas list? And we can be dulled by the lack of discipline. We become numb to spiritual realities. We can be distracted by divided loyalties. And it's just especially pronounced. It's always there. But it's so especially pronounced during this time of year that we are going to make a special effort. So you might say, well, then how? What, what can I do? How do I, how do I uh, combat this influence? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because in your sermon notes, take this home with you, I gave you some some Advent devotionals, and perhaps you can begin utilizing these in your home. Uh, There's some I I put down that are great for families with kids, and you can teach your kids about um, the coming of Advent. And uh, I put down, there's a couple from Lifeway. I think they require a name and email, but don't require anything other than that. Um, uh, the Village Church has one. Uh, one we've done in the past from Desiring God. Um, I don't think that they did a new one this year, but their old one's good. So use one of their old ones. Um, very, very good. Uh, Pinterest has some great ideas. So who's on Pinterest? Anybody? I know some. Come on. I know some. I know more than you. More than that are. But anyways, they have some great ideas. So um, use these ideas to begin to lead your family or lead yourself um, into this idea, uh, into remembering uh, that we are starting to look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ and the fulfillment of God's promises. Uh, Another great idea is to read, sing, and reflect on some of the great hymns of the season. All right. Um, Look at this one. Lift up your heads, ye mighty gates. I think I put that. What a great. Look at these words. Lift up your heads, ye mighty gates. Behold, the King of glory waits. The King of kings is drawing near. The Savior of the world is here. Fling wide the portals of your heart. Make it a temple set apart. From earthly use for heaven's employ, adorned with prayer and love and joy. Redeemer, come with us, abide our hearts to thee. We open wide. Let us thy inner presence feel, thy grace and love in us reveal. Thy Holy Spirit lead us on until our glorious goal is won. Eternal praise, eternal fame be offered, Savior, to thy name. 
sing these hymns. Go on YouTube, and if you don't know the tune, go on YouTube and play it and sing along with it. Reflect on those words. Use these for your daily devotionals. There are wonderful, wonderful songs. Love Divine, All Loves Excel. I think we have that scheduled sometime during the season, don't we? So what a great, great hymn. Look at that. I didn't know this one. Hark, a thrilling voice is sounding. I love this one. Hark, a thrilling voice is sounding. Christ is nigh, it seems to say. Cast away the works of darkness, O ye children of the day. Waken by the solemn warning. Let the earthbound soul arise. Christ, your son, on sloth dispelling, shines upon the morning skies. Lo, the Lamb, so long expected, comes with pardon down from heaven. Let us haste with tears of sorrow, one and all, to be forgiven. So when next he comes in glory, wrapping all the world in fear, may he with his mercy shield us and with words of love draw near. What a great... Looking back and looking forward, there's some just powerful, powerful music out there. All right, so we have devotionals, we we have hymns that we can sing and read and reflect upon. Give regular thought to the person of Jesus Christ would be a third way of how we gear our minds and stay awake and stay vigilant. Focus. Have you ever read Colossians one? And have you ever seen the incomparable Christ? displayed in Colossians chapter 1, especially beginning around verse 16. Oh my goodness. Spend some time thinking about that. Have you ever read John 1? I know you have. All right. Amazing truths are there. Go back and read them. And, and I know you've read Hebrews 1 because we just finished Hebrews not too long ago in our Wednesday Bible study. And Hebrews 1 is an amazing um, passage of text that glorifies well, actually all of Hebrews, but glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. So here are just some how-tos and practical tips. How do we get our minds focused onto these eternal things? How do we do that? Well, there's plenty of devotionals out there. There are great hymns. There are um, uh, the scriptures are filled with uh, descriptions of who Jesus is. And so Jesus then uh, tells us, uh, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. And so Jesus concludes this section with this parable about a thief in the night. And it's very simple. And that is, if you knew what time of, of night the thief was coming, you would have stayed awake, but you don't know. And so stay awake all night. Like we read in First Thessalonians. Therefore, you must be ready. This seems to be the, the whole, one of the, the main emphasis of Jesus in this Olivet, this is called the Olivet Discourse. And in this, in this sermon, Jesus keeps talking about be alert, be awake, be alert, be awake, be alert, be awake, don't be deceived. All right, false Christs are coming, don't be deceived, but be alert, be awake. And so again, I'm telling you, I'm imploring us all as a church, be alert and to be awake. Because we do know that we live in the light and we do know that God will be faithful to his promises. And if we know that God is going to be faithful to his promise, let us live in that hope and prepare um, our hearts and our lives. And there is no better time than this Advent season to do that. And so I'll conclude with this. I'm looking at my timer here and oh my 
goodness, this is, I went over long last time, so I'm kind of making up for it today. It's a little shorter. The, the children's church people are going to be all disappointed. They're not going to know what to do. So you may not get the kids for a while because they're just getting started. But I'll, I'll conclude here then. Uh, and just to remind us, the hope that we talk about, the the hope that we're talking about, the Christian hope is not a passive hope. It's not just a clinging to and sitting around waiting and, and hoping above hope and clinging to some uncertainty that something good may come out of something bad, but rather hope, hope is not passive, but rather it begins with the desire for the Lord's appearing. And we desire His appearing more than the, the accumulating of stuff and achievement. I hope we can do that. I mean, I, I pray that we have a great Christmas and we have families and, and friends and that we have great meals together and that we can exchange gifts and all of these things. I pray that all of those things happen. I just pray that in the midst of all of that, we remember that God promised a Savior and He fulfilled that pro- those that promise. I wouldn't say He fulfilled that promise, but there are thou- or hundreds of promises or hundreds of, of words speaking about the coming of the Son of God. And so, having fulfilled those promises, there's still a second promise, and there is a hope. And it is not just a hope above hope. It is a, a certainty that God will do what God said He is going to do. And so, we want our desires to be to be tuned towards um, towards the Lord, that we desire Him above all these other things. And sometimes we just need to pray that the Lord would instill that in us because um, I can't speak for you, but many people are just naturally selfish. I mean, we just, we just like stuff. Um, and so it's easy to really be focused upon ourselves. And so during this time, maybe we can pray, Lord, tune my heart to see these things the way you see them. We should also note that hope, while it's not passive, it is also followed by an ethic that reflects that desire. It comes out in a self-giving manner. We should be clear that hope dispels fear and anxiousness. When you know that your future is secure, you don't fear about the things that are happening today. And this is so important, you know, in this... In this... Day, you know, we just came through a pretty contentious uh, political silly season, and uh, it's continuing on. And people are wringing their hands and they're saying, "Oh, I don't know what's going to happen." You know, Trump's going to deport everybody, or no, Trump's going to make our economy the greatest it's ever been. I don't know. Maybe he'll do both. Who knows? Maybe he'll do neither. But here's the thing. I don't, although I, I think those things are important. When I know the God who knows the future and holds the future and brings about his purposes and his plans and his sovereign will and by his might and by his power, I am less concerned about what the Supreme Court does. I'm concerned what the Supreme Court will do. It affects my life, it affects your life, it affects this church. I'm just less concerned about those things because I've got a God who is who holds the future and I do not need to be fearful or anxious about what tomorrow is going to bring. Hope dispels fear and anxiousness. And so first advent assures us of the second advent. And so therefore today I will <coughs> encourage you that we should go in hope.
hope. And so with that, let's stand and let's sing this song.